Hello, welcome back to Easily Yours English. I'm Christina. Hi, it's Claudia. And we're coming back to explain and complain about some really common but really annoying words that we probably use more times in one day than we can even count. Too many. I've used these all the time. But how are you? How are you? I am good. Sorry about that. I was problem solving because my dog was just screaming outside. Now that it's dog screaming weather, he can't allow the children to play. So the children got screamed at. Listen, he he's not an old man as of this point yet. I mean, he's more he's middle aged right now. Right. All right. Yeah, I'll go with middle aged. He's not quite geriatric, but he's. He's getting up there, so he's just more crotchety. Like as the days go by, as the sun gets warmer, as the winters get colder, as the dogs get younger. Those damn puppies. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was working today, and I had some downtime. So, um, you know, you know, I have this upcoming trip in a couple of months. So, oh, I was playing around with um, Chat GPT AI to create some like itineraries and talk, to help me map out my. Uh, dwellings and like how long it takes to commute from place to place. Listen, this is the way of the future. This is it. I'm using this for everything all the time. It just makes stuff so much easier. I hear you, but like, I don't know. Part of me, I I do enjoy planning the trip just like I know you do too. But like, I get the convenience of having this tool. I do. Oh, I'm still planning my trip because I get to be like, I don't like that iteration you just produced. Take out this sightseeing thing, put in this, and tell me how long it takes to get from A to B. <laughs> Maybe. I'll try it when I go to Iceland eventually. <gasps> Who knows when it'll be. No, not booked. It's, it's, ah, stress. <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. Full disclosure, y'all. I was supposed to go in December to Iceland. All right. And basically weather said girl you thought <laughs> because it canceled the first one and then uh iceland air they rebooked us and everything that sunday and then we kept getting delayed and delayed so finally we were just like you know what let's not let's not go through this this possible will they won't they go to iceland let's not think about this Ooh, what if they cancel when we get to the airport? Or better yet, what if we get stranded at the airport with all this snow that's happening over there? So we canceled it, and we have yet to rebook it. Um, so hopefully August. I already got the days. Yes, you do got those I days. days. I don't know what days, but you know. But I got them. But I got. Them. I don't know <laughs> what days they are, but I got them. But I got them. Like my manager knows that I'm going, so that's all that matters. Does your manager know that you're going there? Uh, they do. <laughs> they know I'm going there. They're aware that you're going there on their company time? Indeed. Wow. <laughs> wow, Sagu. <laughs> Look at that segue. Um, I truly enjoyed this week's uh, preparatory phase. So I'm looking forward to uh, dissecting the word of the week or the words of the week. 
Oh, actually, I posted a poll before. I wanted to see if any of anybody had a guess as to what our words were. Let me see how the poll's doing. Hold on. Pray. So I can put the poll on the screen, I guess, on the screen for anyone who's watching this, but for everyone else, um, I said, guess this week's word of the week. That's so sloppy. Why did I say it like that? Guess this week's word of the week. So it was either C and C, like ocean or vision, there, there, and there, temporal prefixes or diminutive suffixes. It could go in any direction with us. It really could. So, so far, the theirs are in the lead. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know what we should do? We should recap what we did last week. All right. Let's. So last week, <clears throat> we discovered the secrets of the 72. I lied, 76. Um, but who's counting marginal C's through Christina's plight being continent? Um, we came to the conclusion that the similarities between the two continents comes down to mass. AKA maintaining the mass of the bodily fluids within and the actual large mass itself being the continents and the land and you know. Overall though, we agreed that unfortunately unfortunately <laughs> this word is actually helpful despite how upset it makes Christina. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about that conversation for a while. So it was in my dreams, like thinking about, wow, she like, con- she made those two words work in a way that they shouldn't work, but that's the yeah. B.A. and B.S. for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> before we jump into this week's target words, our word, word group of the week, there's just a little bit, some key history we need to discuss that particularly revolves around the history of English and how it developed over time and the derivative root languages that we haven't quite talked about just yet. We mentioned them in our first episode. Um, so shout out TED Talk, Generalist Papers, Oxford International English for the research that we're about to um, impart unto you. Yeah. Um, also, my manager caught me doing uh, these notes during <laughs> during work today. So um, hopefully they are beautiful. Um, it's okay. I'm not in trouble. I still have my days in August, though. Don't worry. <laughs> everything's fine so essentially when we're talking about the history of the english language itself there are three main sub english categories that we need to talk about and that is old english middle english and uh, modern english those are the three main ones also modern english is not what you think it is just letting you know so old english that is the time period of the 5th to 11th century. Now this is the base for the English language itself when you subtract like the Greco-Roman roots. This derives from Germanic tribes. They were called the Jukes. The, um, I said Jukes, Jukes. <laughs> like a Jukes box, what is wrong with me? Um, Anglos and Saxons. And eventually, Anglos and Saxons, they joined forces, and then they become known as the Anglo-Saxons. I'm pretty sure you heard that in history class. And so, Vikings also added to um, Old English as itself with words like sky, law, bag, um, and then also some other words that are old as shit um, would be that lovely three-letter word, the um, water. And child. In German, water is Wasser. 
but in Latin, it's aqua, mm-hmm. like aquarium. So you can see that we don't get it from, or Aquarius. Um, that is not where water came from. Water comes from our older root. That was the root that we, our ancestor, English-speaking ancestors had first before the Greco-Roman influence. And so really the only true documentation that we have are Anglo-Saxon ruins and the epic poem Beowulf. So um, in the notes, I've included like images of these examples. Um, And I'm going to read you a little bit of Old English. Um, I'm going to try. I literally wrote it phonetically in my notebook. Um, (laughs) And it's going to be great. So if you want, you can you can read the English uh, translation <laughs> after. Um, so this is what it sounded like, kind of, maybe. We don't really know. Hoyt we gardena in yardagum theokoninga. Would you like to read that translation? <laughs> yes. Um also, remember when I said I like to now use Chad GPT for everything? Facts. <laughs> Are you telling me that my I'm literally of old English wasn't good enough? Because, um, hello, I wrote it down and everything. I think it's amazing. <laughs> um, I made Chat GPT show me how to pronounce these words. Y'all ready? I only did a few of them because I didn't feel like writing all that out. So. The very first word in the the very first word of Beowulf is um is spelled in Latin letters, so the letters we use H W A E T. If you've seen like A E like in Aeneid, that's the A E. So that's a phoneme that is ah. So or like man, eh, that's the sound of it. So ChatGPT has confirmed that this is actually what? Yeah, but that word doesn't mean what. It means listen. Except that works because you're calling someone's attention. Correct. Crazy. Quacked. <laughs> Quacked. That's wild. So mm-hmm. that translates to listen. But it's like, you know, like in in oral tradition, it's like, what? There goes this and that. You know, you were there. You were there at the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the fireside totally circle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Back in the fifth century. Yeah, totally there. Yeah. You there. What? Pay attention, <laughs> right? Anyway, oh girl, that is so much. We're already overwhelming them with information today. I know. Yeah, this isn't like the that's how another. to read the Canterbury Tales tale. Excuse but... me, the Beowulf get it together. Oh my god, that's the next part. I'm sorry. Wow. So these the Anglo-Saxon runes we actually know how to pronounce is the is what I'm gathering. And a lot of the words sound similar or bring us to. The English versions that we use. So the era of Beowulf ends, and we evolve into the era of the Canterbury Tales, which is where we find our Middle English version of English that we know and love. So if you actually are somebody who is studying like medieval writings or older English writings, you would find differences between the Old English of Beowulf and the Middle English of Canterbury Tales. Um, <clears throat> I think you said Beowulf was between like the fifth to eleventh century. About mm-hmm. uh, Middle English. So Canterbury would you would find this uh, evolution of English between the 12th and the 14th centuries. So the changes um, were related to the conquest um, 
of the Anglo-Saxons by William the Bastard, a.k.a. William the Conqueror. (laughs) Yeah, we can, it depends on which side of history you're on, right? Was he the conqueror? Is he the bastard? Um, So yeah, he was a bastard and he conquered the Anglo-Saxons. So this conquest brought on old French. So we talked a little bit last week about how sometime with our, was that with continent or was that with moist? Oh, it was with moist. We talked about with moist, how sometimes words seem to come straight, sorry, seem to come straight from the old French, which is kind of like, wait, I didn't know that. Well, this is because William the Bastard Conqueror came through and he was, he dumped all of his French words into the language with his influence. Every English major has been forced to memorize 1066. What fell in 1066? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That was the people responding, you know? The people better have said uh, the Roman Empire. Yeah, that's what the people said. I heard it, right? Right. So that's relevant because that falls between these two eras, actually. So this would see kind of like the dissemination of Roman and Greco influence as like, as Rome became Rome in Italy, as we know it, like with the Vatican, the language shift began to also take hold. And then we get all these words now thrown into the Germanic version of English. That's one plus already having been conquered by the Romans for centuries. I just bastardized that history, but William is the bastard. So in this... In this time, we get, like, a huge focus on grammar and syntax. Syntax being the conventions of grammar on steroids. It's really, like, the sentence structure that provides meaning to the vocabulary you're using. Um, so how your words are arranged in a sentence. So, like, in English, we have a subject-verb-object structure, right? So he runs away. The dog eats cranberries. I don't know why that was the sentence I came up with. Don't feed your dogs fruits unless you Google, can they eat this fruit? But... The dog being the subject, eating is the verb, and then cranberries are the object. So that's our structure in um, English. German is similar and Latin is similar. Uh, Other languages have different syntactic rules. So this time with the overlap of the French or Norman, Normandy vocabulary, um, jumping into the existing Germanic Norse English, we now get synonyms. So we get like pig and pork, boof and beef right cow chicken poultry poulet so um all of a sudden folks can use these words interchangeably but also you can see how that could be confusing from community to community also it was very classist in that in that sense because a lot of the people who would speak old english or remain speaking anglo-saxon were primarily peasants still working the farm working with the pigs and the cows and the chickens um, but if you were part of like royal courts, basically, you would be utilizing old French. You'd be speaking with all these Normandy, Norman <laughs> words within your, your vernacular. Yeah, the Normandy, Norman words give off like this sophistication. And so do Latin and Greek derived words, right? And then maybe, you know, if you if you've been learning kind of a little bit about etymology, you've noticed there's for some reason, like we have this innate like sense of unsophisticated when we think of Germanically rooted words, and this is part of that. It's definitely related to classism. So this is where the dialects come from. Um, so dialects related to migration, slave trade, um, communities building around religion or ident- national identities, and then you know if you 
were conquered by an older empire, you have that culture on top of the culture you're trying to preserve, if you still are able to even preserve that, so on and so on. Um, this is the period where the Canterbury Tales were written. So essentially, um, they are, I think, doing a pilgrimage, if my memory serves me right. And um, each person that is on said pilgrimage um, has an identifier, whether it's like they are the maid, they're the nun, they're the priest, they're the knight. Um, and so each of them has their own poem to kind of like, you know, talk about them. Sometimes they'll even offer like a funny joke to the rest of the uh, the travelers. I would say passengers. That was, I mean, still technically right. But <laughs> there, <laughs> there goes my middle English coming out again with these synonyms. Crazy. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they're, some of them are like super dirty. Some of them are like super clean. Again, they each reflect the traveler that is going on said pilgrimage. Yeah, the most notable oh, one boy. is the wife of Bath. Yo. <laughs> Love her. The wife of Bath is the one most people who've encountered the Canterbury Tales will know. And she talks about women basically being morally similar to men in an era where that was not a vibe. This is what these this sounded like. Um, one that April with his shores soot. The draft of March hath pursed to the root. I promise it sounded prettier back then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is not why you're here. You're here for the next part. <laughs> I. Oh, man. My boy. <laughs> my man. Billy Shakes. Also, to y'all, you know, he's not your bestie like he's mine. Um, You know him as William Shakespeare. Um, So, believe it or not, <laughs> he is considered... Modern English, um, much to the dismay of my students when I was teaching. Um, oftentimes they would complain that this is old English and I started laughing at them. They didn't understand why I was laughing because I didn't explain it. So they just thought I was crazy. But anyway, <laughs> so the 15th century brings the biggest pain in the ass of all of our existences. Yeah, you guessed it. It is the great vowel shift. All right. Now, Obviously, because you guys are so smart, you already know what that means. Essentially, that means that this brought on different pronunciations and silent consonants, which is what makes English so difficult to learn as a second language. And so we have the word knife. You see how it's spelled in your in your mind? And like, I'm sure in a joking way, you, you've pronounced it as kniff. And um, in Middle English, that would have been correct. Kneef, actually. Um, and so when uh, early modern English came about, uh, this pronunciation was shifted. The spelling was kept and the pronunciation changed so that you say it the way that you say it now, which is knife. And so essentially we're cutting out that K and we're, cut, we're making that two E sound into like an I. I'm saying kneef. The next time we go to a restaurant and I drop my utensils on the floor, which always happens, I'm going to ask the waiter for a kneef. Yes. And he's going to laugh at you and be like, stupid. And you're going to be like, no, you're stupid, stupid. Give me my kneef. Thank you. Um, and, and then life will be best. It will be great and amazing at that point after you call the waiter stupid. 
<laughs> what is this spittle in my salad? Not the spittle. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about that Eminem song without me. Do you remember that music video? With the spitting? With the spitting and the onion rings? Oh, yeah. That what? image is just ingrained in my brain. Anyway, coming back to my man. So then here we have two major events that happen. All right. One, it's the rise of the British Empire and the Industrial Revolution. Both of these transform this language even further. So the rise of the British Empire, it spread English to other areas and it brought in more words from the colonies. Uh, and on top of that, the Industrial Revolution brought about the printing press. You know, the one that the one reason why we have books today. Um, which this caused the standardization of written language. Yes, I'm emphasizing that it is written language that is standardized, not spoken. And so if any of your relatives come to you trying to correct your verbal grammar, that is wrong. You heard it here first, y'all. Both peasants and the royal courts were learning essentially the same language, unlike during Middle English, where they were very classist and keeping things more or less separated. Um, especially because now more people were learning to read and write. I'm not saying everybody knew how to read and write because I was still, you know, a little, a little classist, a little elitist. Um, but more people were gaining access to things. And one of them being the Bible, um, you know, amongst other things too. But Shakespeare is the best example of modern English as a whole. And so here we have Romeo and Juliet. Um, would you like to read it? Sure. <clears throat> Am I reading the Shakespearean? All right. So let's see if I can get my I am big pentameter. To household, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Whew spicy i heard you dropping bars dropping them shakes bars um but anyway not shakes bars i said what i said <sighs> listen i'm a modern day shakespeare we already know this it's fine um but actually just by going through like going through three very notable written english um pieces of literature the difference is stark, and you can see why Shakespeare is absolutely modern English. It's just that he's using figurative language and, like, a poetic format. Thankfully, the history portion is done, but again, like she said, it is necessary. We kind of had to go through that to explain to you the derivation of the homonyms. There, there, and there. Yeah, you know which ones I'm talking about. Spell them to yourself. T-H-E-I-R, comma, space. T-H-E-R-E, comma, space. They are contracted. So it's T-H-E-Y, apostrophe, R-E. Yeah, these have probably been driving you crazy forever, right? When you first learned how to read and write, when you first heard them, maybe you were like, why are those the same word? But only like in context do I know what they mean. Now, story time. These would confuse the shit out of my, out of my students all the time. Um, they would often complain to me, saying like listen i i i know it like when we're doing it slowly and when we're doing it in class but like when i'm writing an in-class assessment i have like i just write whatever comes first and that would have been fine in middle english 
But right now, honey, we need to know the difference. And so even when we were doing worksheets, like it would kind of be split down the middle. Some would get the, you know, just get it at the drop of a hat. Others would not. And this was at a high school level. And honestly, I think there's a combination of things going on there. I think one, it is general confusion. But the other thing is that now we don't have very formal grammar lessons happening in elementary school. I think we were more or less the last generation that had that formal teaching. But you know, that's just the American education system at work again. I guess it's debatable. Like, how much do we require that versus like, does it help folks like us who like to do this research or want to share this information on a podcast to then be able to do that? I don't know. So (laughs) probably use AI to learn too. Likely. If we look at the three words in question, two of them are pronouns. So they're T-H-E-I-R and they are. So that one is obviously a contracted um, pronoun and a verb. They are, they're. So they both come from sa in the old Norse. And potentially even before that, there was another fiera to the the GPT. Hold on. So this is what I type in. I type in phonetic transcription for Old Norse, and then I write down what Google gives us. The Old Norse word would be theira. Loki, I thought you said mulnir before before you were going to drop that that old English, and I was just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm here for it, but but wrong podcast. Stop that. Oh, wrong pod. Maybe one day, but that would be me, husband, spouse, and Vinny. Oh, geez. So I forgot that I already looked up the phonetic transcription of Sa. So ChatGPT just said, I'm sorry. It seems I already gave you that in my previous response. Sass. That's rude. Excuse me. So it's Sa. So Sa is the Old Norse for there, as in the pronoun. So them, plural, those people over there. Oh, no, not those people over there. Ah! (laughs) Those people. It would be like saw have a dog then trickled into english and became them and they and that whole class of third person plural pronouns um so we know that they're as in they are is the same so it comes from the same place in the old north north the old norse saw the north um when you said stark differences i was gonna say as stark as ned stark go off (laughs) as stark as ned wow why did that happen we're not talking about the verb to be which is where r comes from because that's a whole quest and a journey and we're not going there so we're just talking about the pronoun component but it's important to mention that they are there um is a contraction but the pronoun is the one that we're talking about so not Without the verb, it is not a homonym. Does that make sense? Once you separate them, once you separate them and you break them into they are as opposed to there, they and their, T-H-E-I-R, are no longer homonyms. Uh English, you mess. So that's the Old Norse for the pronoun. Now for there, as in what's that over there? Um, We've got Germanic Old English derivative, tear. There, um, which then became Dutch dar to the German da to English that and the 
And then I guess someone slapped the RE at the end of the to get there. Cool. Ironically, that. R, that sound is one of the hardest, like, speech sounds to produce, the R. So I don't know why that's the choice, but that was the choice. So when you're pointing to your dog over there in the corner, or you want that sandwich over there on the shelf, mm-hmm. that is where that comes from. So they are both. All three of them have roots in the old Germanic, old Norse languages, and they've just been kind of passed along through the chain of Germanic words, and that's why they are short, right? Monosyllabic, like a lot of Germanic words are, one syllable, kind of perhaps having that like less sophisticated sound than a longer Latin or Greek word, even though that's just Mm -hmm. representing class and also frequency of usage. We all use those pronouns all the time, so those are the easiest and quickest to say, and that's why they suck. I just... annoys <laughs> me. What? Excuse me, I am listening. <laughs> you got my attention. What? <laughs> oh friendship um but yeah like listen their uses and functions are not the ones that are in question here what i want to know is why the hell we decided that this made sense you know what same sounds a different spellings it's gonna be great everybody's gonna know exactly what we're talking about that is, oh, I almost knocked my coffee over. That is where metalinguistics kind of comes into play. So when you're speaking contextually, you'll know which there is being said, even if it sounds the same across the sentence. So like the title of this episode, if you read it or you hear it, the context will make sense and you'll know which one is, which word is which and what they mean. They're there. They're their own enemies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um you know which one is intended, even if maybe you can't spell them or you're not sure which is the spelling, you know which slots of meaning fill what space in the sentence. That is the meta part of homonyms and being able to infer what the meaning was, which is um, kind of go back to what you said before. Like, uh, I don't work on spelling with my clients and patients because I think if you're able to convey what you want to convey, you're good because spelling, especially in English, is nuts. Mm-hmm. So if contextually your meaning is clear, um, I'm usually going to let that fly. That's valid. And quite frankly, looking at like the English regents, for example, and I told you this in the past when you were uh, when you were doing speech within schools, um, that the major thing that matters the most is like certain key things to hit with your, at least this is New York State, I can't speak for other states. But at least within the New York state regions that we need to take, you need to hit certain things and like spelling, it's like looked at, but more or less, it's like, it doesn't really hurt you in any way if you misspell, at least if it doesn't matter to New York state. (laughs) I'm just here being shady. I am not sorry, but (laughs) it is what it is. But it's true. And as your, your history lesson pointed out, like we communicated verbally first so if you're con- you're able to derive context and understand meaning with words 
we have spelling, which kind of just throws in like a, another element of confusion. But if your meaning is there, that's what counts the most. Your intention is able to be expressed and understood by someone else. Mm. I do also wonder if maybe, I don't know, part of me feels that, yes, spelling doesn't matter in terms of you like speaking to somebody. But if you're writing like a dissertation, if you are writing a research paper, that unfortunately, if you are misspelling constantly, especially there, there, and there, then that will end up working against you. Despite you being well-researched, despite you knowing your shit, it's still going to read as you don't know what you're doing, and then it's going to discredit you in some way. Which, personally, I don't think that's really fair. Ah, the classism of language, because now literacy is a classist structure. But we know that there are things like dyslexia or things like didn't have access to school until I was 15, right? Like there are things that prevent that. And it's just in a social, social economic uh, product, right? Which is, as you said, unfair. But the idea behind you writing a dissertation and it needing to be grammatically correct and syntactically accurate and using all these tier three words is you're contributing to a body of standardized text, right? So you should be writing in the standardized version of the language you are using. But is it advantageous for some? Absolutely. Guess what? You can use AI. Don't tell the, the people to cheat. What are you doing? Grammarly, sponsor us. Yeah, and then we'll stop talking about AI. Come on, Grammarly. Let's Grammarly go. uses AI. Shh. <laughs> know that we prefer one over the other. Grammarly, we want you. Come on. Like hashtag Grammarly. Guys, just keep tagging Grammarly. Thanks. <laughs> Until they finally get the hint. <laughs> because it's driving us insane. You know what? I'm gonna tell you who my who my main plight lies with. It's that dumbass in the Industrial Revolution that was making this damn book to standardize English. I promise there's a point. Because of them, this is why we have three different fairs. That's who I'm blaming. Blame Johan Printing Press. Oh god, that wasn't his last name. Who invented the printing press? Well, it was also wasn't it Gutenberg? Johan Gutenberg? Probably. Together we're no. right. I love that, Claudia. That's so important. That's when you know you're a best friend. It's when together you're right. <laughs> together. <laughs> it's Johannes. So so with you, you were you got us a half point. But <laughs> Gutenberg. I got us the one point, but you got us the extra half. Oh man. You got us okay. that 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 teacher circle around the word with an arrow with the words almost. Johannes <laughs> von Printing Press, everyone. Welcome to the Austrian Revolution. And that's who's to blame. Blame Gutenberg. No, no, von Printing Press. That's who. Was oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. We can't. We can't speak ill <laughs> of Gutenberg because then without him, we wouldn't have book club. Ooh, that's 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 some deep cut. Yeah, we'd be without him. We'd be sitting around looking at stained glass and discussing it. I mean, we do that even now. Uh, yeah. Well, should we rate these? Let's oh. say, come again, come again. 
They're what? There. Stop it! I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. What? No, no. What? We didn't shift that vowel to what yet. It's what? Shall we rate these words? Yes. These are three high frequency words, meaning we use all three of them all day, every day. We use them to refer back to names, right? They, so we don't have to say names. I think the functional usability is high. She a high one. It's too damn high. She, she a three. Big, big old three. Big old. Pronounceability. All right. It's easy to pronounce when you know how to pronounce it. I would say she's a three too. Okay. Emotions. What is evoked? Basic. <laughs> yeah. These are, um, we call them function words. So they don't carry meaning where like moist carries a lot of descriptive meaning. Sorry. And Sorry continent. to all. And both, all the continents. They carry lots of meaning. These are function words which could be like missed or omitted, or you could even use someone's name. Or instead of saying, look over there, you could say, look at the oven. It's on fire, right? Like, you don't have to. Right. With these words, they replace nouns. Or they're indicating some sort of location. They're indicating something. Whether it's people, place. Yeah, I would say low emotion. Yeah. Because they're just. a neutral bunch. Yeah, they're a neutral group. I think the only emotions they elicit are just frustration when you don't know which one to spell out. But that's not what we're looking at here. They're pretty neutral. Wow. I did that. They are. <laughs> you, you, you went there. You bought property. You ate. You left the crumbs not there. Me. I passed go, bitch. Uh. Passed go. <laughs> Mouthfeel, honestly... Feels pretty comfortable coming out of my mouth. That's she said. Um. <laughs> yeah, I would rate that high, like a three. They are e- very easy to say, and they're great between words that carry more meaning, which is why we use them so much. They're very easy to just blend into bigger words. Length. They're shorties. They're cute. One. Because they're um, mostly monosyllabic. One. Yep. So- Let's see, let's see. Specificity and connotation. So essentially, their semantic impact. So their semantic impact is semantic. So I would say it's, I would argue that it's low because, like you said, they are substitution words to make a sentence or a comp, like a concept shorter. They require something that they're referring to, though. So, like, I wouldn't say their parents if I didn't tell you who I was talking about first because you wouldn't know whose parents, right? Mm. Who belong? Who do the parents belong to? Who do the parents belong to? I would say a two, I think. I don't know. What do you think? So here's the thing. Because once you specify, then that is giving them some sort of connotation. That is giving them some sort of specificity. After you establish what it is that they are replacing. Yeah, I think I would agree with the two, honestly. Because again, I think it could go, the argument can go either way. Um, so a two. There she is. And finally, reliability to its Old Norse, Old Germanic roots. I'm feeling a three. Yeah, I think the word clearly descends from there. It hasn't changed very much, with the exception of sa. Sa could suck it. <laughs> but I can also make sense of sa becoming the. Because the way you place yeah, your yeah. tongue for the S is right behind your teeth. And then all it takes to get the is moving your tongue a little bit more forward into 
between your teeth position. So the. But my my tongue goes further back. A little further. It's like. Oh, my dog's going nuts. It's like sa is here, but then sa is here. For me. Exactly. So you're moving your tongue forward. No, no, no. Like this is where my teeth are. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Like oh, that's because you're from the Bronx and you say duh. Now I'm just gonna sit here all night, just going suh, 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 suh. Oh, I'm doing that right now. This is so when you're treating articulation, this is the the this is the shit you do. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you fight like, what is the client saying, and then what should they be saying, and how do I move their mouth to position into that suh. desired shape? That's kind of like a, a flick. Yeah. Thankfully, this the this set of words. These, this collection of words? Yeah, sure. They weren't <laughs> as offensive as the previous two. We felt like we should go easy on y'all. Um, but next week, we're probably going to punch you in the face with, with the word of the week. And then, after that, guys, we are done with Evelyn Hugo. That's all I'm going to say. For right now. Speechless. Um, rendered speechless while I'm having a book club with a speech pathologist. <laughs> Wow. Sad. It's poetry. Um, overall, I think we cannot deny the functionality of this word and anything about this word, really. The only thing that's working against it is really all the spelling differences and the confusion that that can cause. But I think we all kind of agreed that it's a little classist. Von Gutenpress's fault. Yay. Von Printing Press. Ah, Von Printing Press. My apologies. My apologies. I keep mispronouncing his name. Um, but that's all for today's episode. Um, good luck editing this. Oh, I was thinking that the whole time. <laughs> Listen, it's possible that this will drop on Saturday, and that's okay. Oh, I am low on battery. So... Bye! The pod notes are available via Google Doc on our link tree. And tell the people where else they can find us. You can find us on YouTube, on Insta, on TikTok. You should join. We're going to start posting bloopers there. Spotify is where our podcast is posted, but you can also find us now on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music if you have a preference. Or if you're on YouTube and you want to just listen in the car on your commute, any of those work. Honestly, we're hella entertaining to watch. So, but you do you. And, you do what you can. <laughs> yep. And our handle is English, pretty much everywhere. Um, follow us on Insta and you'll have direct links to everything through our link tree. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.